Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So grateful to be here at Harvest Ridge. Um, Grateful for Pastor Kevin and Robin, who are legendary in their status at this point, and they have um, really built a wonderful legacy of ministry, haven't they? And you're all led by such an amazing staff and some tremendous volunteers who give of their efforts um, doing things that nobody sees. The church is not a building and it's not a pastor. It's y'all. If I can go Southern on you for a second. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. A couple of things. Um, I have a ministry called Monumental Ministries. And it is uh, built on the concept of, especially in the Old Testament, when the Lord did something significant in the lives of people, they would do some sort of a visual because there really wasn't pen and paper. And so they would, sometimes they would stack rocks to show a significance of a spot. They would change the name of a place. They'd build an altar so that when future generations would come and see it, that landmark, they'd say, why is that there? And the older generation could say, well, that's the place where God did this. And we need those places in our life because God has been faithful. But if you're like me, I get amnesia from time to time and I forget that. And I have to go back to the landmarks that God has built in my life so that I remember his faithfulness. So this ministry is dedicated to facilitating moments like that in people's lives. Mattministry.com is where you can read more. There's uh, books for sale there. Um, They're all available on Amazon as well. And uh, hope you'll enjoy whatever's there. Also a way to support the ministry. I also have a, a podcast simply called Mattcast. It's all one word if you search for it. I speak to creative Christians. Uh, I was in the, uh, the art world of Cleveland for 12 years. I've been a minister for over 30 years. Those worlds don't connect easily. And uh, it's an interesting little balancing act to be in that. Uh, so I feel like God's given me a unique voice to speak to creative Christians. So if, uh, if that's your thing, uh, I think you'll find some good stuff there. We're on all the major platforms, and of course, we're free. Well, we're in the midst of a series called There is No I in Church, and we're going through the book of Corinthians, at least the first letter to the Corinthians. And we're looking at, uh, boy, if you ever read Corinthians, you just go, I would not want to pastor that church. That is, that's like, you think you got problems. Uh, This was some real, real like boots on the ground kind of ministry. And this morning we're going to focus our attention on uh, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6. So if you have a Bible, electronic or print, that's where we're going to head. I'm going to be in the uh, English Standard Version, by the way. Well, I had owned a few cars. um, And then when I got in my late 30s, I purchased basically my first new car. It had less than 100 miles on it. And the reason I did was I I had just gotten this new job. I was going to be the statewide youth director in Ohio. And I knew I was going to be doing a lot of traveling. I was going to be all over the place in Ohio and, and beyond that to other states. 
So I decided, okay, we're going to plunk down some money on something that I'm going to drive until the doors fall off this thing. And I want something that's reliable that I can just go. I don't have to worry about, you know, is it going to make it? I mean, some of us, we have great prayer lives, don't we? Every time we get in our car, we're like, oh, Jesus, please. But I'm like, I, I got enough to pray about. I don't need to pray about the car. So I, I, remember, I remember buying this, and uh, when I purchased it, they gave me this kind of small little summary sheet of some basic facts about the car. And, uh, so, you know, the kind of engine it is and um, all the different capabilities it has. And uh, then, as you scan down, it, it tells you the actual color of the vehicle. Now, by simply looking at it, you would say it was gray. But if you've ever painted at home and you've ever gone to Home Depot or Lowe's, I don't know about you, but try finding the white paint, <laughs> right? No, there is no white. No, there are 2,467 shades of this thing we call white with such elaborate names as sun bleached and gypsum, you know? Like, who comes up with, people get paid thousands of dollars. <laughs> the same was true for my car, for, although it looked gray, I was informed by this summary that it was, in fact, midnight pearl. <laughs> right? I've never felt more special in my entire life. Not only did I have a brand new Honda that I can enjoy, but it was distinctive. I mean, any car could just be gray, but mine, yes, mine was Midnight Pearl. So when I went to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles to inform them of my new purchase so they could update my records, I dutifully gave the haggard state employee all the necessary information. And then came the question that she had probably asked 10,000 times, and what color is the vehicle? Well, now, I stuck my chest out and threw my head back and proudly announced to all waiting for their number to be called, Midnight Pearl. <laughs> and like any state employee, especially those in the Cleveland metropolitan area, she responded, and what color do you think it is? <laughs> And I said, gray. It's gray. <laughs> I want you to know that in 2023, I have a concern. I have a concern for the church of Jesus Christ. My concern for the church at this moment is that we have a lot of believers out there who have deluded themselves into thinking they're midnight pearl when their lives are just plain gray. Now, the young Christians in Corinth, these are mostly almost new converts, they were facing the same problem. Corinth was the Vegas of its day. And the church was living, let's say, rather gray lives. It was an incredibly sinful environment for this church. And these new folks to Jesus were struggling with how to live. And you know, in our current day, there seems to be, it seems like more than just a subtle pressure that Christians should look and act as much like the world as possible. Gray. So 
So Paul is going to issue a wake-up call here in chapter 6 to this kind of graying church. And he's trying to remind them, and I think he's trying to remind us, that we're meant to be midnight pearl and stand out in a gray world. The title of my message this morning is Distinct. For that is what I believe the Lord wants us to be as his church. And by the way, just to head this off at the pass, that doesn't mean you have to be Amish. I know some of you are like, sign me up. Sign me up. Barn raising it too. All right. To the scripture we go. 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to read the whole chapter here, by the way. When one of you, Paul writes, has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's a tough scripture. That's a toughie. <laughs> Sometimes you just you get that in devotions and you go, whew, okay. But we need that. How many of you know scripture isn't always the dessert cart? Sometimes it's the veggie tray. What I want to do in our time together is I want to look at three ways in which Christians are meant to be distinct. Because I, I want us to see how doable this is. 
And here's what I don't necessarily want to do in this message. I don't want to start doing the list of do's and don'ts. I want to start saying, stop doing that. Stop it. Stop it. Okay, we all know the stop it. We all got that. I, I want to take a bigger view via scripture to see what I think Paul is trying to get at with the Holy Spirit inspiring him. So here's three ways I think that we're to be distinct. Number one, we're distinct in our giving up. That's one way we're distinct. Here's what I mean by that. The biggest distinction that Christians have over the rest of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Biggest distinction there is. And I believe the Pentecostal Church of America needs a revival of the gospel. For we have forgotten what it is. Narcissism has become pervasive in the evangelical church to the point that many professed Christians believe they were born awesome and because of the cross, Jesus just makes them awesomer. Our friends in Alcoholics Anonymous actually have some good reminders because so much of what they do is built, I think, on gospel principles. Here's step one of AA. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. You see, our sinful nature, which we all have to deal with, never wants to admit that we can't do it. That we are powerless over sin in our own strength. As Paul says in Romans, we were slaves to sin. Here's what that means. When sin said jump, we just automatically said, how high? All of us, every single one of us is in this camp. I don't care if you were born to a Christian family, homeschooled, dedicated in church, did junior Bible quiz, went to all the youth events, married a Christian spouse, had kids, and now bring them to church. That's a nice testimony. But only if there's an admission that we are sinners. That we were an unholy mess on an express train to hell because of our sin and we couldn't fix it. But Jesus. See, here's what makes us distinct. The admission that Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. We admitted that there is a God and we are not him. We gave up trying to be God and surrendered ourselves to a wash from his nail-scarred hands. You ever just wonder, you're like, man, it seems like people just hate Christians. <laughs> it just seems more and more pervasive as the days go. Doesn't it feel harder to be a Christian these days? And I, I don't, I don't want to insult the early martyrs of the church because we suffer but light affliction. But it does seem to be harder. And, and sometimes if people just get a whiff of our Christianity, I mean, just like an instant kind of a thing. And you know, why, do, why do people hate this so much? And I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of good answers for that. But here's my thought. I mean, just cut away all the fluff and all the meringue. I think people hate being told they can't do it themselves. Nobody likes to hear that. That's why the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, which was earlier in Corinthians. You can't do it. 
I can't do it. And I'm amazed how many Christians don't seem to understand this. Paul is reminding these folks of their past and of who changed them. Verse 11, and such were some of you. He goes through that whole list of people who won't inherit the kingdom, and he says, and such were. That's an important word. With Jesus, sin and its dominance in our life becomes past tense. We're living in a society that says, this is the way it's always going to be, and you just better accept it because this is just the way it's always going to be. My friend, the cross says differently. The cross says we can have victory no matter what the opponent in our life. And it's not because we're such amazing intellectual people. It's because he is so amazingly wonderful and perfect in what he does. Paul is reminding these folks, here's who changed you. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Each of those three words, wash, sanctify, justify, those are all three different Greek words, by the way, in the original text. So they all like serve a different purpose. We were washed. Okay, we probably don't like this imagery in a lot of ways because it implies we're sort of like a baby or a small child who can't bathe himself. I mean, I managed to clean up unassisted this morning. Too proud of me. Because I'm not 10 months old. But I didn't wash myself from sin. It kind of reminds me of when Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. Verse 6 says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You know why sometimes it seems like the church looks exactly like the world? I think it's because we've forgotten how saved we are. There's that old school hymn that I grew up with that asked the question, are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Distinct Christians are quick to admit they gave up and surrendered themselves to the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ. That is, that is the necessary, you were talking about water baptism. You want someone to talk about getting baptized in water? Talk about, I gave up. That's the ultimate start of a testimony. Here's how I was living, but I gave it up. And I surrendered to someone who did for me what I could never do for myself. We were sanctified, which means set apart. There it is, distinction, right there. We were made holy by God. I couldn't do that. I never feel holy. How about you? I can't remember. the. And if you do feel holy, that might be a whole other thing to pray for right there. But, but because the work of Jesus is so perfect, I am holy. This means I'm not the same. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I, lo I no longer need forgiveness. However, through Jesus, I now have the ability to say no to sin. Salvation is not, I get to live how I want and go to heaven too. 
Paul uses one of their lines here, quote, all things are lawful for me. This is something they love to throw around in Corinth. In other words, I think, hey, man, hey, we're not legalistic here. You know, it's not about rules. It's about, you know, relationship. We're just like, hey, it's just like, this and that, this and that. I don't know what that was. <laughs> just making sounds now. What it's... <laughs> Second service. What can I tell you? What it's about is repentance. By being washed... There is a change of mind. By the way, look that up online on the Strong's Concordance with the word repent. We often say it means a change of behavior, but it actually means a change of mind. For you don't have a change of behavior until it changes up here. And the washing of Jesus renews our mind, gives us a new way of thinking. Do I still fall short? Oh, my word. Just like every day that ends in Y. But the cross is not a blank check to sin. We all need to repent. We all need his grace, which is freely available. But I am no longer a slave to it anymore because of what Jesus has done. We were justified. We were declared righteous and innocent. I want someone in the room to hear that because there are a lot of people in the room who don't feel innocent. You're like, well, you didn't see what happened yesterday. You're right, I didn't. But if you believe and if you've submitted yourself to a wash from Jesus Christ, it's a whole different ballgame. And we got to remember that when Christ is involved, everything changes. We have to understand what God sees when he looks upon those who have been washed. You see, the whole world is trying to get to some higher place. One way or another, some, some will say God, some will call something else. And I, I've talked to folks about this. I've talked with unbelievers when I've witnessed to them. And they'll talk about how, hey, you know, man, there's all these wonderful, I don't see why these people can't make it to heaven too. And what I try to say is, all the other religions of the world, all the other pursuits of the world, are all about what you have to do to get to God. Christianity is all about what he did to get to you. That's what separates it from everything else. And only Jesus can do the washing. So if there's someone in the room today, you've never committed your life to Christ, I want you to know in a few moments you're going to have a chance to do that and submit yourself to a wash so that Jesus can do for you what you can never do for yourself. We're distinctive that way because we gave up. <laughs> that makes you pretty distinctive in our world. Number two in our letting go. This is another way that we're distinctive. At the start of the chapter in chapter six, Paul is bringing up this interesting, I don't think he does it with any other church. The new believers are taking each other to court over petty differences. Now, please, a little disclaimer here. We're not talking about crimes and cover-ups here. If you're, if you're getting abused, then let's, let's get the jerk thrown in prison. This isn't, uh, this isn't about criminal matters, which certainly should involve law enforcement. What we're talking about here is arguments, slights, and misunderstandings. Thankfully, that never happens in church anymore. But back then, <laughs> oh my word, you know. 
Now, this is Judge Judy stuff. They couldn't work it out internally. Or they didn't even try, so they just called Elk and Elk, serious lawyers for serious injuries. <laughs> and in doing that, the church was behaving exactly like the world. They weren't distinct. You see, here is what makes us distinct. We don't require the world system and people in order to handle kingdom business. Christians can let go and trust God to even the scales. Boy, you want to talk about being distinctive from the world. This is a biggie. It's how we handle being wronged. Boy, that's a big mark when it comes to the body of Christ that's different. I don't have time to go through all of it, but in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus lays out a system of conflict resolution uh, to the disciples and to us. But it's amazing how few actually follow that. I served as an interim pastor for 10 years. And I was in one particular church, and uh, they, they still had Sunday school going on. And uh, the gentleman who taught the adult Sunday school class probably should not have been placed there previously, but there he was. And he was a very kind of a strong-willed individual. He wasn't exactly along all the doctrine of our church. But I guess on one particular Sunday morning in Sunday school, he started bad-mouthing the youth pastor in class. So after service, uh, there was a board member who was in the class. And so he comes to me, he says, Pastor, I have to tell you what happened in Sunday school today. And he was saying all, you know, saying this stuff about the youth pastor. And he goes, so I just want to let you know so you, you can talk to him. I went, mm-hmm. This is what we in the ministry call a teachable moment. <laughs> I said, I mm, think we're skipping a step. I said, you see, I wasn't there. I don't know what happened. But under Matthew 18, it's, it's on you to be able to confront him privately, to speak to him about the offense with the hope that he will make it right. And again, this teacher was very forceful. He was a very domineering force. And the board member was, I could tell, instantly intimidated about doing this. And I said, hey, dude, you're on, the, you're on the side of scripture here. Don't worry about it. Just be gentle. Well, sure enough, he, he talked to him. And, and uh, the teacher readily agreed that he had totally crossed the line and apologized to him personally. And then in that class, the next Sunday, he apologized to the class for what he had said. To my knowledge, the youth pastor never knew. But now I'm like, that's pretty cool. We saved him some grief from having to hear this, which could have created a whole nother, okay. <laughs> we have all been there. But that's what happens when we handle our business in the kingdom, when we do it the biblical way. All right, so I, I realize None of us really hardly have a lawyer on retainer. <clears throat> That's not part of my monthly budget. But in the 21st century, maybe we won't take somebody to court. We might just take our, court, our, our case to the court of public opinion and we'll start posting. Now, insert the social media of your choice depending on your generation. I will aim it for mine. Here's a golden rule of life. Take it to Jesus before taking it to Facebook. There you go. 
Friend, I'm, I am saving you so much grief right now. The Holy Spirit is speaking through me at this moment. How do I know that? Because I wanted to post some stuff. I'll see something in the news or something happens here. Boom, right? You know? But then before I hit the sand, you kind of like pause. And the Holy Spirit's going. You ever get the throat clear of the Holy Spirit? Do you ever get that? I'm like, hmm. It's almost as if he's saying, think this is a good idea? Oh, it'll feel really good. That's not, that's not the measuring stick, Matt. And probably about 95% of what I wanted to post has been has hit the cutting room floor. And it saved me a lot of grief. And it's largely an unbiblical thing to do when you're in that kind of spirit. You know, I, I have someone who I, I love, deeply love, and he was attending a church. And for whatever reason, he stopped attending. But rather than just stop attending, he decided to mention it on Facebook and say, I'm no longer going to this church. I'm not going to say why, but you can DM me. <laughs> I'm like, what are you, seven? Heaven's sakes. He couldn't just let it go. Ready for something countercultural? We in the kingdom of God would rather be cheated on earth and blessed in heaven. I know, that always, there's always a thud after that. <laughs> oh, I thought it was, there was going to be amens there. Nobody likes verse 7. Can I just right? You realize there are scriptures nobody likes, but we need them. Verse 7 is a nobody likes scripture. He says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Watch. Why not rather suffer wrong? <laughs> I've never gotten an amen on that, even for me, and I'm preaching it. Why not rather be defrauded? Why not? I'll tell you why not, because I want what's coming to me. Oh, really, my friend? I don't know about you, but with the Lord, do I really want what's coming to me? There, it almost seems un-American to say, why not rather be cheated than to suffer the kingdom of God in disgrace? No, that means they won, does it? Is that how we're operating the scoreboard now? Maybe we can trust in a God who is maybe a little bit more powerful than this situation. That when it doesn't work out the way we hoped it would, he kind of sees those things. And he has a way, if we're faithful and, and integral in those situations, of blessing us down the road in some other way. I mean, do, do we really believe he's actually capable of that? Or do we just have a point to prove? We absolutely must forgive. Look, if, if something happens in church, which is every week, and it may not be our turn yet, you know what I mean? But someone like double parked out there, you know, and we're like, oh my word, you know what I mean? And now it's just, worship is lost. There's no sanctification. There's nothing. It's all gone. It's all gone. Right. 
and somebody got ripped. I'm going to tell you what. We took a picture of their license plate, and we were asking the tech crew to post it on the screen, you know. <laughs> we have the ability in Jesus to let things go because he let a lot of things go on me. And if, it doesn't, if a situation doesn't work out the way we want, then we just let it go, and we stay in the kingdom, and we try to, we realize God sees everything. God will take care of stuff. He evens the scales. I don't know how he does it, when he does it. Vengeance is his. If we're talking that realm, that's all his department. And we allow him to do that. We don't need our pound of flesh in the kingdom. We recognize that God is the balancer of scales. We just need to do the right thing. Because we have bigger battles to fight than with each other. There's an enemy out there who's trying to defeat us and he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Our battle is with him. So we need to point our weapons at him and, 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 and tear down the strongholds and cast down imaginations. We're distinctive in the way we do that. Lastly, we're distinctive, thirdly, in our joining to in our joining to. So Paul uses a, an interesting word here a couple of times. And if we want to be distinct, we need to notice this word. Verse 16 says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh, which is an inference to marriage. Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Joined. That word joined, believe it or not, in its original Greek means to glue, to fasten together. And when I heard that, I couldn't help thinking about this July when climate activists in Germany blocked plane traffic at two airports by gluing themselves to the runways in protest against mass transit pollution, causing hours of delays and dozens of cancellations. And it, it took a few hours for the officials to get there and unstuck these folks. And by unstuck, I mean they cut the cement out around their hands. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that's going to make greeting time at church a little awkward. <laughs> yeah, you try to handshake and you're like, <laughs> you gonna do that? Here's what makes us distinct as believers in Christ. Christians have joined slash glued themselves to the Lord, even though so many other options are available. So the operating question is, who or what are we glued to? You see, it's part of our internal mechanism from God that we want to join and connect with something. What are we gluing ourselves to? And really, this is meant to be such an intimate thing because we have all kinds of relationships in life. But when we're talking about this joining. This is a whole different arena. There's really only two people in the world that we ever truly like join ourselves to on this intimate level. And that's God and our spouse. 
And if, if we're gluing ourselves to other things and other people, those things will not be able to provide us the emotional and spiritual satisfaction and health that we would want. And we will be consistently frustrated and hurt and, and, and feeling in shame that we can never truly find the real thing. You know, the Corinthians had a lot of baggage going on from their past. Some of them had been prostitutes. There was a temple to the goddess Aphrodite there in Corinth. And uh, some of those folks used to be prostitutes at that temple, male and female, by the way. Others have been customers there. Both groups are in the church. How's, how's that for a background check for the nursery? <laughs> they didn't even know it was sexually immoral. But all they probably knew was that something was missing. That's because they were glued to the wrong things. They were glued to spiritual cement. Now, Paul provides a list of behaviors of those who don't inherit the kingdom. You know, in my opinion, I think they're just examples of people gluing themselves to the wrong things. See, if we're not glued to our spouse, we'll become an adulterer. If we're glued to people intimately that aren't our spouse, whether real or virtual, we'll be sexually immoral and commit homosexuality. If we're glued to things or people who can't redeem us or interact with us, we are idolaters. If we're glued to money, we'll be greedy. If we're glued to trusting ourselves and envy, we'll be thieves. If we're glued to alcohol and substances, we'll be drunkards and addicts. If we're glued to our injustice and bitterness, we will be revilers. And if we're addicted to manipulation, we will be swindlers. Who or what are we glued to? See, the thing is, if we glue ourselves to the wrong thing and it doesn't work out, when you pull that thing off, it's a little painful. This ain't Velcro. It's glue. And the Corinthians had learned the hard way that being joined to other things leaves you in pain and in shame and cynicism. So we must be glued to Christ. Now you're like, okay, I like that, but I don't know what that looks like. So I'll start you off with this. If you want to be glued to Jesus, take some time every day to think about what I said during uh, point number one of this message. The fact that you've been washed that you've been sanctified, that you've been justified, and you could have never done that for yourself. Which is another way of saying, think about how loved you are. Just spend time every day thinking of how loved you are by a holy God who only did this thing because he really is crazy about you. And that will get the glue in its right place. And then let it go from there. Because suddenly now we have truth abiding in our life. So when the enemy tries to tell us we're less than, when he tries to tell us that we're one of these things we just rattled off in this list, we go, no, 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 I don't think so. Because I was just reminded today that I was washed. That I was sanctified and justified by Jesus Christ. So shut up. Get your hands out of my life. Because you're a defeated foe spiritual enemy. You've already been defeated. Your lies won't work here. See, this is turning the tide. This is how lives change. 
And when we glue ourselves and join ourselves to the wrong things, it can bring a lot of pain. And you know, a lot of times, one of the big enemy uh, lies of the enemy is, hey man, it's just this is just your thing. Nobody's, you're not, you're not hurting anybody else here. This is just your thing. And you know, it's just, don't worry about it. But see, the lie is, our sin does affect other people. At the very least, and maybe this morning, the people who we see in community all the time, if we're not quite there, if we're living in shame, if there's something in our countenance, and people look at us and they're like, something's not quite right. I don't know what's going on. And now their minds are thinking about us, which is, that's nice, but maybe unnecessary if we're making wrong choices. I made a decision when I was a kid in, in response to being in a dysfunctional home. I decided to make my attachment food because my life felt so out of control in the home I was living in. And I felt like I needed control of something that was always available and that wouldn't say no. And so that's what it became for me. And so most of my life I've been heavy um, I've been much larger at different times in my life. And, you know, I'd be like, hey, but this is just my, you know, this is just my battle. Until almost two years ago when I had a massive heart attack and ended up being life flighted to the Cleveland Clinic. Now everybody knew. <laughs> and now everybody was concerned. And I realized that I glued myself to something that couldn't give me what I needed. Now, the beautiful thing is when we have that realization, the Lord doesn't say, we're done. How many have had that experience, right? When you're at your lowest, you realize how high and amazing he is. He was there to say, come on, dude. It's all right, I'm here. I'm here. And we realize, we go, back, we go back to square one. That's right, I was washed. That's right, I forgot. And it's just coming back to what is so basically true in our lives. So the question is, for those who don't know Christ, have you been washed? For those of you who do, what are you glued to? Because the Lord is looking for believers in Christ who are midnight pearl. People who will be distinct. And their life being set apart. It doesn't mean we're obnoxious. It doesn't mean we're any, any of that stuff that we don't like. We're just, we're just living this thing. And trust me, people, people will know. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, please. So I asked this first question. Is there anyone in the room today who has not been washed? You've spent so long trying to be God. You've been the perfect control freak. As people sometimes like to say, how's that working out for you? because you can't spiritually clean yourself. You can't. We have to submit to a wash 
nail-scarred hands who made the perfect sacrifice of love on your behalf. In this very private moment, is there someone in the room today who would say, Matt, I need to be washed. I've recognized I can't do it myself, so I give up. And I surrender to the love of Jesus. Today, if you make that decision, would you lift a hand so I can see it? I need to be washed. Thank you for that. I need to be washed. I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. It's all become unmanageable. I know. You're right. You're right. The only solution is him. It's the only solution. He's here with love in his eyes and his heart for you. He is. Now, right here in this position, in this moment, stay right where you are. If you desire this, I want you to know that Jesus is next to you. And when you call on him, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I want to help you do that. So right from where you're seated, knowing he is right there, maybe I can help you a little bit in the whole prayer thing. And maybe you want to say something like this. Jesus, I need you. I need to be washed. My life is not working. I keep trying to fix it. And it doesn't fix. But this morning, I realize you fixed it for me. And so I give up being in charge. I give up control. And I make you the Lord of my life. Wash me. Sanctify me. Justify me. As only you can, Lord. And my friend, as you pray it, he does it. And you have done something that is eternal and seismic. And what I would want you to do before you leave here today is to tell someone. We have prayer team members at the front that you can talk to right after service. Maybe you have a friend who came with you. Maybe one of the pastors. Please tell us so that we can hug you, <laughs> rejoice with you, and talk about next steps. Believers, my question to you is, what are you glued to? What are you joined to? I'll bet you you know. I probably didn't have to talk very long before you knew the answer to that question. So your two choices are to pretend like it's, uh, it's a whatever, uh, we go into this pretend land. Or we recognize this is a moment orchestrated by the Holy Spirit for me to remove myself. Will it be painful? Uh-huh. I can't tell you otherwise. It'll be painful to 
break yourself away from that and unglue. But if you will remind yourself of what Jesus has already done in your life, come back to basic truths of who he is, how much he loves you, and place your life and attach yourself, I mean attach yourself to him. He will bring a satisfaction. He will bring a longing. He will bring a thirst that is quenched and then reactivated and quenched again and reactivated and quenched again. He will will continue to fill your life with a wellspring of his love. So as I pray over you this morning, and again, we have prayer team members here today who would love to pray with you specifically. Would you please do this as I pray over you? Would you say, Jesus, unglue me from this. Lord, detach me from this. This is taken too much. No more. And Lord, I join myself with you. So Lord, I pray for my friends at Harvest Ridge this morning. Lord, you want us to be distinct. But Lord, all of us, Lord, we all so easily attach ourselves to other things. And we recognize this morning that maybe part of our struggle is my attachment to you is so tenuous. It's so light. Lord, I pray that you will help me to detach from this. This has brought me nothing but pain and shame. I have lost time and money and dignity. Jesus, I pray that I want to detach. And God, I want to glue myself to you. I want to know you better than ever. I want, to, I want to live in your love. I don't want it just to be some thought process. I want it to be genuine. I just want it to be the real thing. Jesus, I join myself with you, my Savior, my friend, my Lord, my Master, my King. Show me what life is, what this life is that I've wanted, but kind of not. <laughs> but now I do. Jesus, I attach myself to you. I'm going to ask all of you in the sanctuary to please stand with me. Lord, I pray that your people would truly be your people. God, help us. Lord, we are so frail. We need your grace every day. But Lord, help us to be distinct in a world that insists on gray. In Jesus' name.